Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Positive thinking is powerful thinking. If you want happiness, fulfillment, success, and inner peace, Start thinking you have the power to achieve those things. Focus on the bright side of life and expect positive results. That's by Germany Kent. And it's funny, I found this quote and realized I woke up just feeling a little down this Monday morning for no reason. And so I need to remember that uh, putting some positive thinking in the mix is probably what I need today. But my guest has such great energy and his work is so amazing that I'm sure whatever that little thing is, is going to turn me right around. <laughs> so before I do introduce Nino Battista, I'm thinking that might be Italian. I will ask him. I want to remind you to go to lucydumascoaching.com, Lucy with an I, and there's some goodies there. And to tell you that I'm still planning to do a group coaching on my proven system for selling three to seven or eight wall portraits per client. So if you get in my email list through one of those gifts, or you join my Facebook group, The Profitable Photographer, then you'll be getting the notices. Okay, that is enough about me and the show. So I'm super excited to introduce Ron a.k.a. Nino Batista. He's a photographer, writer, musician, and overall amazing creative person whose work is regularly seen in lifestyle publications the world over. He's regarded as the premier model photographer, retoucher, and artist development coach. He educates worldwide, is based in the United States. I can't wait to have some great conversations about beauty, model photography, and so much more. So, Nino, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Absolutely. It's my honor. Thank you for asking me here. Yes. I'm not sure how we connected, but when I saw your work and your website and such, I thought, I need to get him on the show because we haven't ever really talked about the world of modeling photography on my show. I'm a portrait photographer and I did weddings for 12 years. So I tend to lean that way because after 40 years in this business, I know a lot of people in the portrait and wedding business. And I'm willing to bet, tell me if you think this is true, that high percentage of people who get a great camera decide they want to be a photographer doing more than landscapes starts photographing beautiful women. And hoping that maybe they could make that a career. For me, one of my first models was a friend of mine that wanted to go into modeling. And she was easy to photograph. And I created a portfolio for her and for me. So, you know, I know that thrill of having a beautiful subject in front of your lens that is super inspiring. So thoughts on that? Nino? Yeah, well, what I've, what I've tended to tell people is, um, first of all, you're correct. I mean, that is something that, for better or worse, 
that many photographers who get into the field aspire to. And, you know, quite frankly, it's a lot of men who do it. Now, if you look at the history of art, um, men have been venerating women in art for millennia. Um, and that sort of makes sense. One can argue this point, but um, I fully am of the opinion that females are far more aesthetically appealing than males. And that has nothing <laughs> to do with the sexual elements. Right. Um, that's just an overall aesthetic. And it's not to say that I don't photograph male models, and I have, and I've had some amazing, inspiring work done with male models. But yeah, overall, Lucy, you're right that um, a lot of people do go into this with the idea of photographing models. And I said for better or worse, because while I don't want to go down in a direction of a negative vibe, um, there are certainly a lot of men who enter this field for, let's call it nefarious purposes, and uh, their heart's not in it. They're in it for other reasons. Sure, <laughs> sure. So we'll we'll just put them over on the shelf. Right. <laughs> and, um, because I know many women who their specialty is photographing women and they love photographing women. We're curvy. We're soft. There's something. Yes. Men are, you know, there are some tons of very photographable men. <laughs> I used to have a crush on Don Johnson hey. a long time ago. Miami Vice. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and I did not see any good photographs of him. And I wanted to write him a letter and say, you know, still photographs and say, I could photograph you so much better than any of your PR. So Love anyway, <laughs> but yeah, in the world of selling things, I am guessing there's also a higher percentage, you know, there's dogs, kittens, and women, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that women are aesthetically more pleasing to photograph yeah that's a great question because um you know having done this for several years now uh, 13 years approximately seriously which it's hard to describe how long i've been to photography for reasons we can go into in terms of my history but officially 13 years mm -hmm. um the and now with the photography market i say now but in the last 20 years being so heavily saturated because everybody can buy a digital camera and, and take a picture there's so many of us out there now as you know and you said you had a 40-year history so you've seen it evolve point is um, the stigma is real. If you're a male photographer shooting women, then the, the stigma is very real. The, the assumption is that you're shooting women for, you know, perverted reasons or um, you know, whatever, you know, reasons that have, have very little to do with artistry. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've been sort of not so much actively, but dealing with that stigma for a long time. But stigma aside and, you know, put people's opinion aside, it's very hard to put your finger on exactly why. I think that most people find women in art more aesthetically appealing. You know, it's easy to say that a man is sexually attracted to a woman and that's where it ends. That's very easy. And yes, there's plenty of guys that way. But I think, as you just mentioned, I've heard other women who are photographers or painters or artists of some kind, visual artists, say that their favorite subject is women. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not to say that it always has to be safe. Um, you can be... Uh, erotic, you can be uh, sexually dangerous, if you will, in your work, depending on what your threshold is. Um, but the question is, what is your intent? What is your purpose? And if, you're, if your intent is sincere, if your intent is to create art and to really convey something, and ideally, since your subjects are human, unless you're in the fine arts sphere, you might be interested in making sure that everything is an empowering element to it, right? Mm. You want the women to feel like they're larger than life in the art that you're creating of them, a sculpture or a photograph, right? So, of course, that sounds idealistic, but that's usually what I have tried for, um, for better or worse. And have have I been over the last, you know, the beginning years of my career, 
kind of following the norms and shooting more bikinis by pools than, than, than <laughs> I know what to do with. Uh-huh. Yes, of course I have, trying to figure out where I fit in in all of this. And over time, I figured out that another bikini by a pool, another set of lingerie in a bed, I still shoot it. Clients still want it. Um, and occasionally it works beautifully, but I don't want the same thing. Because mm-hmm. the problem with shooting anything that has any type of sexual element, whether it's overt or subtle, is that if it starts to feel even a little exploitive, you're wrong. That's where you mess up. That's where hmm. it falls apart, right? Yeah. So what's coming to mind, and I think you've cleared up a question for me. Back in the, I guess you'd say maybe late 80s, early 90s, boudoir photography was a lot more like Playboy photography. And because it was still a man's world in our industry, at least in the the PPA community that I'm a part of, it was not empowering. You just like this little light bulb just went off over my head. Can you see it in the video? (laughs) That one time I was judging on a panel and there was a woman on a bed on one knee and one elbow with a telephone and in lingerie. And she looked anything but empowered. And I scored it low and got a laugh when I said, I can't think of a reason I'd be in that position ever for any reason. Like it wasn't, but what the light bulb is part of why I didn't like that whole genre and why I didn't get into Besides the fact that, you know, I'm crazy about kids. That's where my camera, when I see a beautiful kid, I can hear my cameras in my closet going, mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but besides that, photographing in the style that was common, I get it now. It did not feel empowering. And the contemporary boudoir now, which a lot of women are very strong in, in the selling to the subjects, I think are very empowering, make women see their beauty and strength. So thank you. You've just solved a 30-year riddle for me. (laughs) So I love that. And I, I appreciate how you know that this can be a delicate topic. You've been teaching model photography for a a while. Yeah. Yeah, a decade. Basically. Yeah. That's a while, a good long while. And so it must come up significantly or that you sounds like you make sure people are thinking properly about it. Am I right in that? You no, know, I try to because I'm I'm passionate about it, you know. And, and by the way, when you mentioned, you know, late 80s boudoir book, um, my dad was a photographer. Uh, wow. He's retired now, but I grew up with that all my life. This is why I said my history is a little blurry. People said, when did you get started with photography? My answer is, well, let's define that because I always helped him out. And I would carry his bags and change his film and, mm-hmm. and everything else. But I remember being in him and his partner's studio in the late 80s um, uh-huh. as a 13 or 14 year old boy and seeing a book on boudoir. And I opened it up and dug through that. And I was like, okay, you can imagine what a <laughs> little 13, 14 year old brain thought. Uh-huh. And then, of course, his partner was like, hey, you probably shouldn't be looking at that, you know. And it, thinking back, it was very tame. It was basically like like Playboy. It was not overt pornography. It wasn't vulgar, though it was campy and, like you said, not yeah. empowering in any yeah. way. And so I'm, I remember seeing that in the late 80s myself. Playboy early years. 
because Playboy got yeah, I did. continually more <laughs> explicit over time. Yeah. Wow. So that's very cool that you know the difference. Yeah, I try to, you know. Or that you had that experience of seeing that genre of work. And I mean, I, I had uh, one of my friends photograph me in that era. And I'm really happy I have those images. But I more would love to have images of me at that time, 25, 30 years ago, in this style that's contemporary now. So, um, yeah, interesting. And I, I admit openly, I told, especially men, I told them this. I said, when I started in this journey 13 years ago, I went into it, I thought, with, you know, the best of intention. But I learned very quickly that, you know, and I don't want to go into a political, sociopolitical rant right now, but any type of problem that's considered to be systemic, uh, one of the definitions of a systemic problem like you know, overt sexism in, in photography or in boudoir and glamour. One of the problems with um, with anything systemic is that you might be participating in it without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And so what I learned very quickly was that things that I saw maybe as innocuous were actually, you know, maybe not offensive or aggressive, but just, just improper. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly what I considered to be decent and not learning from my subjects, learning from other mm-hmm. photographers and crucially learning what I don't want to do from other photographers. Right, right, right. So it's been a learning process. I didn't walk into this just having it all figured out. It's a constant learning process, especially coming from a male perspective and trying to understand what a woman feels about what I do. Sure, sure. So you're in a little different world than I am and maybe a lot of my listeners where you are a commercial model photographer as opposed to what I've been alluding to, which is the personal work where someone hires me to photograph them and then I sell them the photographs. So can you share, I guess, how you got started in the, the actual modeling for money that was not about wall portraits people are putting in their homes? Can you define the difference better for me, possibly, since you're in that other land that I don't live in? Okay. Um, Commercial versus um, one of the terms that people use is general portraiture. Commercial versus general portraiture is that your customers in portraiture are generally who you're photographing. Okay. Um, 99% of the time, boudoir, weddings, engagements, high school seniors. My dad did all of that. In commercial, the person you're photographing is almost never the customer. There's a third party involved there um, or third parties involved there Mm -hmm. um, that are paying, ideally paying you and the subjects, right? So that's the the core difference in terms of where the money is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, in the commercial space, it's a lot more challenging because everyone in the commercial space is good. They are. They're working actively in it. And I'll get to that in a minute, why I don't actually work directly in it. In the commercial space, anyone who's actively working, getting the jobs and all that in the major markets, LA, New York, Chicago, all that, Miami. London, it goes on. They're all good. So commercial clients are deciding who they need for a specific job, or they have a regular that they have on retainer or something like that. So the commercial space, everyone is high caliber. Everyone knows what they're doing. That is if they're working in it. Because of that, it's hard to break into it. You can become a decent portrait photographer shooting engagements in a small town and start working in a week if you put the effort in. It's very easy to get people to to go, oh, I love this. And they like a picture of themselves. Mm -hmm. In the commercial world, they're like, who are you? We have photographers. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how they see you. Mm-hmm. So what happened was early on, 
in 2010, I started, weirdly enough, getting into exotic car photography. Oh. And by 2011, I shot over 200 exotic cars, and I figured that was my career now. I decided I was starting photography in 2008, and by 2011, I'm shooting cars. This is my world. Well, the exotic car photography market is very difficult, and it's a highly commercial space. And the clients that I had in, in exotic cars changed their ideas of what they considered my value, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't want to work for them anymore. So suddenly I went from busy with cars to no cars uh, in a period of about two months. And I said, what do I do now? And I had been having some requests to get classes, workshops on model photography in studio. And I reluctantly thought, I can't teach this. I just started a couple of years ago. But I thought, you know what? It's worth a go. So I started small workshops in Houston. Long story short, Lucy, is that that's how I got into education. Oh. And I don't actively seek out commercial jobs on the regular because I'm an educator first and foremost. Okay. So while my headspace and my the people I work with is in the commercial world, I'm not out there bidding on jobs. I'm not out there worried about the next commercial campaign. Educator became my job and I'm very passionate and excited about it. Mm -hmm. um, and on rarely I get what amounts to a boudoir client, someone who wants me, not a boudoir photographer, they want my work and they want to pay me to shoot them. That is about twice a year, maybe for me. Okay. So th that's what I'm trying to say is that I became an educator, but my head is still in the commercial space. Okay. So your bread and butter in terms of how the checks come in for you to have food and an exotic car or <laughs> a house is teaching. Now, is it teaching the skill of photography and, or do you also help people learn how they can get into model photography in a commercial space? What's most of your. Yeah. Obviously when I first started 10 years ago, giving workshops, it was focused on, on lighting. I figured that's what people want to know. Um, and although as you, you've seen the photography industry evolve over decades, at the end of the day, people still need to learn how to light. But that's, so that's when it started. It was all mm -hmm. technical. Modifiers, diffusion, composition, lens selection, all of that. And over the last 10 years, it has evolved. And with the pause of COVID, mm -hmm. and now uh, I gave no workshops for a while. Yeah. Um, and now with my, you know, my fiance, Freya Ray, who is also helping me give workshops because she's such a beautiful artist um, and model, we have evolved um, further what I had already been evolving um, into more of an artist development training. I give a lot of private lessons um, on artist development, which is a little technical, a little business, a little inspiration, a little bit about vision. Mm -hmm. it's, it's taking that artist, as you know, as a coach, you know what it's like. You have to find what that person is doing and what their goals and questions are and give them some kind of guidance and motivation okay. and inspiration, right? So I do that. Uh, there's a markedly different than 10 years ago where everything was technical and lighting and, and, and retouching, of course. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's evolved over time. And one of the reasons I think that works, and I think you probably will agree with this, is that now there's so many resources online. If you want to know how your camera works, there's 700 videos on YouTube. Right. And you can figure out what the buttons mean. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily need an educator for that. But right. when it comes to vision and coaching, branding, that's when you need a coach. Right. So that's where I think the answer to my question about if you help people who want to break into that commercial world, you do help people in the same way that any coach Correct. worth our salt might do, which is to, first of all, start with the individual strength where they want to go, get all the ducks in a row. Um, and so forth. Do you have a tip or two about breaking into the commercial 
world of photography? Yeah, the two core, there really are just two. Um, the first one is, 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 you know, like they say, Occam's razor. There's lots of potential explanations for some problem. The simplest one is, is usually correct. In other words, if your work isn't good enough, that's what's best for your problems. Okay. So in commercial, your work has to be commercial grade, as they say, right? There's some variation there, of course, but your work has to be good enough. So your all your technical execution process, everything has to be top tier. So that's number one. And the two, the second one is it's a little bit of, an, of a broad statement, but it has to do with your market. If you're 75 miles outside of Omaha, you need to get out of there because right. you can't, you can't succeed in commercial 75 miles outside of Omaha, you know? Yeah. So the commercial markets exist for a reason. And one of the reasons is simply proximity. I tell my students this all the time. If you're in the commercial world and you're doing really great, if a client in LA says, oh man, we need a photographer for Thursday. This just came up. Well, if you're in Omaha, they're not going to fly you out. They're going right. to find someone else. And there right. is someone else. So proximity is important. Got it. <laughs> do, do you know who Sam Kennison was? The yeah, comedian? Absolutely. Yeah. So my favorite routine of his, if people don't know, you should YouTube him, <laughs> but put some earplugs on because he screams a lot. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and he talked about people that are starving in maybe it was the deserts of Africa or something. And he's yelling you know, the way to solve this problem isn't to send them help. It's to send them airplanes and and bring them to, you know, where the food is. Because in the desert, nothing grows. <laughs> go to where the food is. So I just had this picture of you, <laughs> like, go to where the work is. I mean, yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, and it's not easy, but that's a fact of life. Yeah. That's a hard part of it. Yeah. yeah. One of my coaching clients that lives in the LA area is a commercial photographer. And we worked, first of all, on helping him have a specialty in the commercial world. And he is an athlete, bicycling and and individual things, rock climbing, things like that. So we concentrated on him getting a portfolio that is like, let's say if it was model photography of women on a bicycle or rock, you know, something, tell me if you think, was I on the right track in the commercial world that if you stand out because you're the go-to person, uh, let's say you photographed exotic cars if you specialized in photographs of women next to exotic cars would that be a way that gets a foot in the door anyway what are your thoughts on that (laughs) well a couple things one um in the commercial space um there's some flexibility there's plenty of artists who do a little bit of a couple of things um, but there's not too many artists who do nine things um, there's some very rare exceptions like Blair Bunting, who does, you know, he'll he'll be photograph he'll be hired to photograph a freaking jet fighter and then an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's extremely rare. But Blair does it all well, really well. Mm-hmm. So that's why his work is everywhere and all the commercial things. Um, weirdly, the, the subject or rather the example you gave, Lucy, of girls and cars is something that I did a lot of. But it's not something that the major car manufacturers will pay for. Because it's considered now, of course, in the modern world, very sexist, um, or at least tacky. At least, um, you know, if you have a girl in a bikini bent over licking her finger on a Ferrari, yeah. it's it's tacky, right? Yeah. So 
the major manufacturers do not pay for that. However, there is a secondary market in automotive that has to do with tuning shops and modification shops, wheel companies, um, and other things like that. There's a secondary market that might pay for that. So uh, in general, though, in commercial, at least the commercial coaching clients that I have, are, tend to be pretty specific on what they do. That way they, they've branded it and they know mm-hmm. that if someone wants Isaac Alvarez, they know what they're getting because they right. know he delivers. Right. Yeah. So I think we're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> is being the go-to person right. for something. By the way, I just watched The Matrix again last night and I could freeze frame every minute of it and look at the lighting if you haven't watched it in a while, everyone, and you want to see incredible, dark, moody lighting, holy cow. <laughs> it is amazing. Classic. <laughs> and, then, and then, I don't know, if you watch it, then also watch for the color motifs. Do you know what? I, have you seen it in a while? Yeah, about 10 years, maybe. So yeah. I'm estimating, but yeah. So I yeah. noticed the whole first was everything was blue and green and very linear in the so-called real world. And then all of a sudden, pops of red showed up. There was so much storytelling with color that when I saw it 25 years ago or whenever it came out, I'm not sure if I noticed quite as clearly. But anyway, so if I was trying to do a movie that had that kind of lighting, I'd be finding out who the filmmaker, you know, the cinematographer was for that movie because... Yeah. So anyway, it's good to specialize is what I think the moral of the story is here. Yeah, it is. And 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 what you're talking about specifically in color grading um, is something that I did not start my photography journey paying attention to. I didn't. Can you define color grading? Absolutely. You know, you can take a photograph out of camera and it looks to an experienced photographer. It looks out of camera. Right. It might be great. But it looks out of camera. Color grading is a, is a subjective and aesthetic thing where you roll in a lot of color or a little, you have more saturation, less saturation. You have blue tints or red tints in your shadows. You have an overall, like you said, motif or theme across the set that maybe everything's green toned. It's sometimes very realistic color and sometimes extremely unrealistic color. Right. Every photographic artist does some or a lot of color grading. And I ignored that for years. And when I finally started realizing the power of color grading, not just because it looks good, but because, again, the storytelling element, the way you can tie in color palettes and bring more to the work, which, again, people possibly looked at my work with some skepticism, like, what are you storytelling? You're storytelling some hot woman. And they like to, they like to, you know, push that stigma on me. And I will also say what I've learned is that I don't know that there is a more, like, revered and vilified demographic than young, gorgeous woman. Mm. I think they get both of them. They get both both sides of it. Everyone loves them, everyone reveres them, and everyone wants to hate on them. Everyone wants to criticize them mm-hmm. because of jealousy or whatever the case may be. So when I started figuring out color grading, it was from other artists who don't necessarily shoot what I shot, but I was like, whoa, the power of color. And I started having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And that was a few years ago, and I've been running with it ever since. Ah, interesting that I brought that up thinking... Why am I sharing about the movie I watched last <laughs> night? But that's right. I, I thought we were talking about color grading when you said that. I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> we were, clearly. I just didn't know the name. So the show Ozark. I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. Oh, so everything is green and blue in the clothing and so much, which 
when you're in the Ozarks, there's the green trees and the blue sky. And, but consistently it's an incredible dark, creepy comedic (laughs) show, (laughs) but I just love the color grading of the show too, that it affects us emotionally. So people don't probably know why they have a certain feeling if they're not, you know, like you and I, where we see deeper, but they feel it. They do. Yeah. 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 They can't necessarily put it into words, but they experience it, you know, and um, not as much now, but when it first came out, everyone was asking me how to color grade like the movie 300. Oh yeah. um, Which has a very distinct color grade. Mm. And everybody was like, I want to get that 300 look. And oh man, someone in my touching students brought that up to me. (laughs) I was like, there's so much to it. It's not just the color. It's the lighting. And da, 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 you know. But, yes. um, and my point is people, photographers see that and they want to emulate it. Non-photographers see it. They don't understand it, but they know they like it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. They they get the feeling of it. So I took a class with Elizabeth Opalenik, a weekend program. And by the way, listeners, she has been on my show. You might have to go back, I don't know, a year or so ago. She's a fine art photographer who has been in business longer than I have and women are her specialty in the fine art realm. And we worked diligently with the models to see and guide them to not be giving us pinup or boudoir, but fine art posing. And I'd love for you to share maybe the difference because from the beginning, we started talking about, we'll just say, sexy posing. So the difference between modeling and fine art and scintillating or can you speak about that? Yeah, I think it all boils down to, again, what I mentioned a little while ago, uh, intent. And the intent, I think, shines through very clearly what the artist's intent was. If your intention was to photograph a beautiful woman half naked and, and there's your intent, that, that's where it ends your shot will look at, right? Mm. So um, even if you're photographing nudes, there's a way to make them non-sexualized. So again, it's, it's, it's again, the intent. So the artist's vision is important. And I think that is where a fine artist um, really separates themselves from other type portraiture. I think without degrading either one of us, I think you and I can probably go into a client shoot that we have no inspiration to do with a difficult client and a whole situation we want nothing to do with, but a gig's a gig and we can knock it out. Yeah. We can. Yeah. Is that going to be anything remotely approaching art? Probably not. Um, we can make it acceptable. We can make it good enough for the client. Mm-hmm. But a fine artist has to be really inspired and find the, the, the vision for what they want to create, right? As, as you know. So I think that that more than anything, intent is, I mean, it's crucial, yeah. But what comes after that is, of course, execution. And if you create the work the appropriate way, then it'll come across that way. But the problem is, as you can see, I'm talking in circles. It is extremely subjective. Yes. It's so open-ended. What is fine art? Some of my fine art coaching students, uh, some of them have done very, uh, how do we put it? I don't want to say the word edgy, but they've done very controversial and difficult to look at self-portraits that tell uh-huh. their story of everything from abuse and drug addiction to whatever. And I told them, I said, in your case as a fine artist, the artist is as important as the art. Mm-hmm. Look at Andy Warhol, the perfect example of the artist is as important as the art. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you have a Warhol, it's a soup can, but Andy made it. That's right. why it's important. He might not even have touched it. His factory did, but it came from him. He has sold you him as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a fine artist, 
some they, they never they never make themselves very public their art speaks all of it but sometimes the artist is just as important in some of my students case i say you need to brand yourself you have a dark story to tell you have an important story to tell that you want to inspire you are just important as the art mm. so i think that that like in commercial you look at an ad you don't know who shot it unless you happen to know who shot it for other reasons because you're in the industry you don't know who shot it you don't ask who shot it you don't care that's commercial mm. right mm. um if you have a f- beautiful family portrait above your mantle a neighbor might say, who shot that? I want my family that way. That's mm-hmm. sort of in between. And then a fine art is, oh, I love this artist. This artist inspires me. This artist brings it to me, right? right. So, but how do you achieve that? that yeah. It's art. It's subjective. It yeah. can be crazy and disturbing, or it can be beautiful and subtle. But it's, again, about the intents, about the artist. I don't know that I have succeeded in being in the fine art space very well. I, I'm mm-hmm. way too middle-brained. I think mm-hmm. extreme right-brained artists do that better than I do. Mm-hmm. And that's actually in our initial mention of commercial versus general portraiture. There is that third aspect, commercial, general, fine art are kind of three distinct things. And as a new photographer, I'm guessing like me, most people sort of flounder around in all of those spaces do you have suggestions about how someone can figure out where their strength or where they might want to direct themselves? Yeah, I think answering that, um, not just for coaching students, but I also have three high school age children. And they're all, I, I love to call them, I said, you're all bonkers artists. So now mm-hmm. how are we going to leverage that to have a career? Because uh, mm-hmm. you're, none of you guys are you know, business degree office types, and that's very clear. But you're all talented artists in different regards, visual mm-hmm. art, writing, and music. And so I'm like, I've been coaching them, if you will. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, because um, like in music, you have commercial music, which is television shows or, or commercials or um, other utility purposes. And then there jingles, <laughs> right? And then there's, you know, becoming the next garage band to be the next Pearl Jam. Popular music is arguably fine art, arguably, uh-huh. whereas stock music is commercial, right? Got it. Um, so in the visual and as a photographer, I think that, if you lean towards the creation of art for the sake of the art, then you're leaning towards fine art. And mm-hmm. I think that's why some commercial photographers do fine art projects once a month intentionally. I do know that Lindsay Adler does two every month. She oh, really? says that very clearly. She wants to do some kind of project. Uh, oftentimes, the personal art projects evolve into a commercial thing because a client sees it and says, I want some of that. Mm-hmm. Right? She herself said that. Mm-hmm. So I think that it just, you have to explore yourself on what your goals are. If you, if you're in it for the art, for the sake of the art, then you're probably leaning towards fine art, how to leverage that into a business. I don't know. But if you're like, if you want to get the technical skills high up and then market and brand yourself and run a business, that's probably more commercial. It's very personal and it's very hard to guide on that without having a long conversation with a specific student. But in my opinion, as corny as it sounds, following your heart, as they say, I think mm-hmm. it's important. This is why I said earlier, very, I affirmed it very clearly. I'm very middle-brained. I'm not mm-hmm. a pure fine artist, but I'm not 100% commercial. And I know this. I've come to accept that about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, when I was, I don't know, maybe I was in my 20s. Maybe I was the age of your, your teenage kids. I ran across a quote that I wrote down and I put where I saw it every day. And it was the way that you find your destiny, something like that, is to watch what your hand falls to naturally and keep doing more of that. Mm. And so 
I think that's a, a quotable quote that explains what you just shared in more depth. Absolutely. And there are people who, like one of my friends who's also been on my show, Jennifer George, she made her bread and butter with kind of normal children's photography. Wasn't anything that was going to win awards, but she had this passion for a certain style and look of photography of children where she painted them. She liked a diversity of kids. She would look for models. She used lots of fabric and netting. And in our local state and national competitions, when she entered those with the PPA community, she always got the Kodak award and best in show. And then that art led her, I don't think she ever sold in galleries and that wasn't her intent, but it led her to be able to appeal to people hiring her for her bread and butter at a higher rate and willing to do more creative things and to speak internationally and to have books on photography. So that's one person that I knew from, I actually was one of her early mentors in just how to do a certain quality of light that she loved that she saw in my work and, and watched her whole career until she passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, Yeah. Very sad, but she had a life well-lived and used that you know, she straddled both sides because she right. was able to express herself artistically, but that wasn't her moneymaker, but that satisfied her soul. And at the same time, opened up a lot of avenues for her. Correct. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a it's an interesting world that we live in with. We've got these things called cameras and now what do we do with them? So, and I've seen the opposite play out many times. And at first, I started, I approached it with cynicism. What I mean is, um, I would learn about or meet photographers who, let's say, high school seniors. And I met a high school senior photographer who will remain unnamed, who does hundreds of seniors a year, mm-hmm. hundreds. Okay. And when speaking to this photographer, um, they made it very clear that their work is decent. Uh, Mm-hmm. A B plus any day of the week, you know, yeah. maybe a B minus on occasion, right? But this photographer made it clear that that's not his goal. He said he is a marketing guy and he makes people happy. He makes parents happy and he makes mm-hmm. the kids happy. And he's about quantity mm-hmm. and the work is good enough. He said, and he makes way into six figures, pushing seven, uh, doing what he does. And he's like, look, I'm not some hoity-toity artist. This is what I do. And mm-hmm. I believe he's completely sincere. In sure, that. sure. Yeah, (laughs) it's photography as a product. One of my coaching clients uh, just opened her second million dollar a year pet photography studio where she started from the $200 uh, shoot and burn. And her dream is to be a business owner, not like, I want to be a famous fine art photographer, which if she's listening to this. She also does incredible fine art photography uh, that is super fun and funny of pets, almost like in classic still lifes and things. So she's she has a deep artist in her, but her business was different goals. Yeah. And uh, and it's all valid. So 
It is. And that what I always say, and I was a musician for many years, I still am, there's guitars all over this place. Ah. Um, I always say about all art, especially music, but in photography, I've discovered sincerity wins. Whatever your sincere approach to your art is, if you're sincere, it'll show. Oh, I'd love that. Sincerity wins. You know, yeah, because like the gentleman I was talking about, I do three or four hundred high school seniors a year. I knock him out and make a ton of money. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be lying to a soul and he's getting the job done. Right. And he's happy with it. He's completely happy with himself. That's sincerity. I can't knock that. Not for a second. Absolutely. I love it. You know, we all have our own little our own little patch in the world and do what we do. And I love it. Do it with sincerity. And then, you know, we get some like a little wind under our feet that are at our back that moves us forward. So, yeah. I like your the quote that you said about that, you know, follow your hand as it were. That I feel is like the plague of the artist. I think, and I tell my kids this, particularly my oldest, um, I tell my kids, I was like, if you're an artist, you, you might feel trapped as an artist. What I mean is that you can't help it. You want to create. You see right. things differently. You do. You don't see things like the gentleman with a high school senior company. You you see things differently. Welcome to the artist world. This is you yeah. for the rest of your life. Right. You can right. fight against it or you can embrace it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if I had not become a professional photographer where my photography as an artist, what my work would be like if I hadn't had someone to please that's paying me money. And when I look at my early photography, my style is kind of in the Cartier-Bresson street photography, candids. I love when everything comes together in a moment. And if you clicked a fraction of a second before or after, it's not there. Um, But in listening to you talk, I'm thinking, well, and, you know, my own quote, not from me, but is... I did what my hand felt to naturally. And I have always loved photographing children and being around children. So it was natural. Um, and I loved weddings until I didn't. <laughs> um, you know, 12 years, uh, pretty common. That's about the 10 to 12 year rate. But I would cry at cartoon weddings. I, <laughs> I still watch Say Yes to the Dress if I can't sleep because mm-hmm. I love a beautiful bride. and. Um, yeah, and it all unfolded and is continuing, you know, because now one of my favorite things is a, in the world is a great conversation. And so that has evolved into A, the coaching and B, the podcasting, where okay. I get to meet people like you that I would ordinarily not get to have such a deep one-on-one conversation. You know, we might hang out together somewhere, you know, but conference or something. Yeah, but it's like a kaleidoscope. Is that what it is? Yeah, not a carousel. Where things unfold and the new things unfold and the new things unfold. That this is not a stagnant uh, right. career or art or passion because we keep growing. Yeah? That's, that's exactly yeah. right. I completely yeah. agree with that. And I uh, to augment all of that, but also what I was mentioning about my realization that sincerity is what's lacking in, in most art is that now with the internet now being the last 20 odd years of the mainstream internet, everyone has a platform. You mm-hmm. can create bad art and put it online. You can create amazing art 
and put it online. You can make art that you made for the wrong reasons and you can put, you see where I'm going with this. Everyone has a platform. So now, instead of getting angry as, a, as an artist, there's so many people in photography now, saturated. That's true. But where do you win? Where you win is the people who are sincere, the people who are in this because they want to be in it desperately. Their mm -hmm. heart is in it. That will show. And that's how you stick out. It's not the next camera you buy. It's not the next tutorial that you watch. It's what's in your heart. And you are going to be in that minority because most people are simply not that. So mm -hmm. let's call it 95% of the people who bought a digital camera in the last 15 years are going to be, they're already gone or they're about to be gone. The people mm -hmm. who have no choice but to follow their passion, they're going to be here. And so mm -hmm. I don't see it as an oversaturated market necessarily of right. the people, the artists who make the difference, my opinion. I totally agree with your opinion. And I always think whatever we're complaining about, I think, well, those people that painted in caves with goat's blood, you know, what did they complain about? Probably the same kinds of things, yeah. you know, so-and-so is using inferior goats, but they're getting paid the same or blah, blah you know, whatever it right. is. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that the sincerity of the cave painter is the ones that got the most work that now, you know, 30,000 years later or whatever, <laughs> yeah. we see the artist in that. Yeah. So yeah, everything is the same and everything changes. So that's exactly right. And that's, yeah. that's why I think that that's what's beautiful about the arts. And that's one thing that 20 years ago, I did not completely see as a musician. I was trying to play music. I knew I was passionate about it, but I didn't fully understand the role and curse of the artist, like I said, I didn't really yes. get it. And now I get it. Yeah. And I realized, oh, yeah, now I understand what it's like to feel this trapped feeling. Um, because in having tried to be practical over the last 30 years at some point and get a corporate job or whatever, it's been an utter failure for me every <laughs> single time. Yeah. And so it's not because I'm just this disjointed, anti-authoritarian. Actually, I kind of am. But it's <laughs> not just that. It's because I, it's not who I am. And right. there are many people who spend a lifetime not doing that. So do I tell everybody, quit your corporate job that pays you well and go be an artist because you think you can't? No, but you know in here when it's real. You know when you have to. Right. You have to take that jump, right? Um, so that's that's part of my coaching. That's why I call it artist development. Because uh -huh. I'm like, you may not realize that you're just, captured, just trapped artist and you need to embrace it because you're probably just suffering because you don't understand what's wrong. Right. And you finally realize it, then you finally realize it. Right, right. And every artist doesn't have to start a business and mm. make income. You know, someone with a great corporate job that they enjoy what they do can explore themselves and as artists in other ways where they don't have to have somebody that they have to please or like there's a freedom in not needing the money. But for me, needing the money can be motivating to actually get out there and do something. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, have, I have students and friends in this industry who have corporate jobs that pay them into the seven figures. Uh -huh. And they do their art to have a release of some kind of creative release because they're like, I do my job well, but I don't necessarily love it. And it's not artistic at all. Mm -hmm. So, But at the same time, seven figures of salary funds their artists they're, in a, they're their own benefactor for their art right right so i always tell people it may not be time necessarily to quit that job unless you know it is <laughs> right <laughs> right so uh, i've loved this conversation you know i'm so glad that uh, however it was that i became aware of you that i did and said hey want to be on my show 
I was going to tell you, Lucy, by the way, when I went to look up on your show and I realized, okay, speaking of sincerity and, and execution, um, you have so many episodes, so much consistency. I thought, no, this is a show that I'd like to be on. This is someone who's not doing this once in a blue moon or started last week. Um, this is consistent. This is probably going to be a good conversation. So I, I, kudos to you is what I say. Thank you. Well, has it been a good conversation? It has. <laughs> <laughs> it has, and I appreciate it. As for me, I, I love how we've woven in and out, but kind of stayed stayed on a track. But, um, you know, you've gotten in depth on some really interesting things I'll be thinking about for a long time. So thank you for that. And yeah, consistency. I just, I just love learning. And so it's just so fun to have a podcast and get to, you know, people around the world and my, my uh, recent podcast where I have a new friend that's in St. Petersburg, Russia. And he was my guest as you and I are talking, he was my guest last week. So mid, mid March that you might enjoy listening to that if you missed that. Um, And he's doing okay in Russia, but it's, it's hard because most of the good Russians don't like what's going on either. Yeah. I was about to say, considering current events, that must've been an interesting conversation. Well, this was before that. So it was so shocking. To realize now somebody is in the midst of this. Um, Anyway, so I have two questions left Mm -hmm. for you. First of all, how do we get in touch with you? And I know you wanted to share something that you're coming up and invite people to get on your list so that they can learn about that. So absolutely. One thing that I, I try to do and take myself and take pride in is being relatively accessible. Social media is what it is. You know, I can't reply to everything, but I try to be because I feel like the personal experience is better. So my point is, go to, you can go to my website, which will lead you to my Facebook or my Instagram. You're welcome to send me a message. But if you really want to get my attention easiest, email. And that's ninabatista at gmail.com. Um, messages get buried in DMs and whatnot. So um, definitely my website, which I'm trying to pay more attention to in the last few months because it's just it was just a place to dump my photos on and ignore for six months. <laughs> I'm trying to put more on there now um, and uh, and pay attention to that. So what's cool is that I have a relatively unique name, Nino Batista. So it's twitter.com slash Nino Batista, Instagram slash Nino Batista, Facebook yeah. slash Nino Batista. It goes yeah. on from there. Good. So it's pretty easy to find me on social in that regard. And that really is the best way to get a hold of me. But yeah, I do have a uh, new tutorial coming out. So. Yeah. So you said April 2022 or so? Yeah, it's currently end of March. It was supposed to be out in the beginning of March, but got a lot of work and a lot of traveling, which I do a lot. We didn't talk about that. I travel extensively and uh, travel and work kind of spiraled. Great, grateful for it. Not complaining. Mm -hmm. Um, But so the editing of the process uh, of the video, the final tutorials is not done yet, but it'll be done for early to mid April release. And it's a retouching tutorial in depth, several hours of of detailed retouching tutorial that it's homegrown. I've done tutorials on with uh, Creative Live and Pro EDU and other platforms and whatnot, but this is completely my style, my method, and my my approach. And with a lot of a lot of good content, I think very proud of it. Great. And Nino agreed to send you a code for some kind of special offer with that if you email him. Uh, yeah. We don't have that code yet, so you have to email or send a carrier pigeon or something, something yeah. to get in touch <laughs> yeah i'll give you the the pre-sale pricing uh extended if you send me an email how about got that? it got it <laughs> and all of his nino batista ads and everything <laughs> is uh in the show notes 
Okay, last question. And just remind my listeners to stay tuned for my wrap up after Nina and I, Nina, Nino and I <laughs> say bye bye. <laughs> I'm in a silly mood today. And I do feel much better. I don't know why I woke up feeling a little bit like, I don't know, you know, we just bodies have chemistry. But anyway, now I feel like I'm ready to take on the world. Thank you, Nino. Anyway, so is there something that either you would like to make sure people know that we haven't touched on or uh, parting thoughts? So this is your opportunity. Yeah, you know, I'll take a moment to to not just give a shout out to my fiance, but also mention how important someone like her to me in the relative relationship. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that um, in years of doing this, I met my fiance Freya August of last year, 2021. And not only is she a model and an artist, I would say an artist first and foremost, that she is a model, but she's such a, a creative soul. I mean, it, it makes me feel like I'm not even an artist, how creative she is. So what I've been trying to incorporate into my coaching, if you're a fine artist or if you're a, um, you know, any type of portrait photographer, is if you have the opportunity to find what people like to throw the term around, but if you find a true muse, mm. whoever that is, leverage that. Pay attention to that. Mm. There's something there. You don't necessarily have to be engaged like we are. I love her to death. And 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 and, and that helps, of course. But uh-huh. you can have a muse that you're not necessarily romantically involved in, perhaps. Um, and the I've never felt the inspiration that I have right now mm. than shooting with her. It's to the point now when I think about my personal art projects, I don't really consider other models because I know Freya will do exactly what I want. It's right. innate the way we work. So although regular collaborators can be good, if you find someone who really brings out the best artists in you um, and they feel the same way about what you do for them, um, like I said, leverage that because you can you can you can advance your career that way. Not just make beautiful images, but you can mm-hmm. advance your career because you're showing yourself at your best. And that could turn into work, right? And Freya brings out my best, plain mm-hmm. and simple. And one of my favorite stories, and I'll wrap it up real quick, is I have had, since my dad retired from real estate photography, he did portraiture for a while, did real estate photography for since the late 90s. Mm. He let me have his Canon EF 1740 4.0 L lens. Mm. 1740. That is wide. Super wide, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I got it from him, I tried to take portraits with it. Fail. Just everything looked weird and distorted. Never understood it. It's been sitting around collecting dust for a long time. But in shooting Freya, the way she moves, the way we connect when we work together, the 1740 now makes sense. Not because it's superior to an 85 or 135 or anything, but because it brought up something in me that I didn't have before. Mm. And so I understand how to capture her in those focal lengths. And I'm creating a whole new sort of palette for myself. Mm. And now that's my go-to lens now when I work with her. I'm like, let's try this one. Um, because it's like, I, I didn't understand how to use that tool to create art until her, if mm. that makes sense. And I don't, I don't see that as insignificant. I think that's really important because I've tried to use it multiple times and failed. So, you know, when you're shooting in portraits, keep in mind that it is, a, it is a partnership. It's a bit of a dance. Even if it's a client you see for an hour, you have to be a psychologist. That's Peter Hurley, right? You have to, you have, to have that, that connection in some manner. So uh, we didn't talk much about that, but I've learned a lot in working with my fiance Freya in not just different focal length, but in all kinds of aesthetics and approaches. So, so how would somebody find a muse? Do you have any ideas? 
I don't think you can find one, to be perfectly honest. I don't think that's how it works. I think that when you stumble across one, then you know. Mm. Um, but it has to be mutual. Amuse is, um, you know, plenty of models you can hire that will come out and knock the job out and be great. Mm-hmm. But an actual collaborative muse that I consider to be an artistic sort of joint venture, I think that's rare. And I'm very joyful and very happy that I have it with Freya yeah. because I've had lots of great photography over the years with lots of great models. Nothing quite like this. This, yeah. is, this is singularly different. Yeah. And, and I enjoy it. Do I know how to make that happen for someone else? No. <laughs> okay. Well, so I firmly believe in the power of intention and the power of action. So I think that someone could say, I'm going to find a muse that does for me what Freya does for Nino. And I'm going to pay attention to what shows up and I'm going to take some action. I'm in a group of women photographers that the group's been around. I was part of the founding members 35 years ago, 30 some years ago. And we get together and we create ideas and projects. And sometimes we have model shoots and within those you know, we scramble to figure out how to get some people to photograph. And out of that, some of the photographers have found their muses. And you see them doing some other creative things that are not part of our group activities. So I think we can have an intention and believe it, picture it, and then go, you know, go photograph some people, go yeah, you never know, Use right? Stuff. Yeah, you never I know. Agree. I think I think being able to identify when when a collaboration isn't working as as smoothly as you'd like is important yeah. though. And then move on to the next one, perhaps. Right. Um I agree with you completely, is what I'm trying to say. And yeah. I was about to open up the, the can of worms about guys shooting hot girls uh with all the wrong intentions and calling them muses. I was going to go into that kind of word, but I won't. I'll just okay. say that everyone can find a muse in, in portraiture. I agree with you. I don't know exactly the direction, but I like your approach of just yeah. trying and peeling it out with sincerity. Yeah. And starting with an intention. One of my friends, her muse is flowers and her work takes my breath away. And so it's not just a, you know, yeah. beautiful model, but I will say, and I shared this at the beginning, my friend, when I started in photography, was my muse. And I don't think I would have formed a career if I hadn't photographed her because all of my ideas and imagination were just exploding and we were collaborative and we did some cool things with intentionally grainy film where it was like she was a mom baking cookies and you know, I just did some of my most creative, interesting work when I was just starting. And then she's very positive. So she would share with me, you know, you're amazing. So then that, and, you know, I'd be like, you're amazing. So I had that with her back, you know, before I decided to fully be a professional. So yeah, I, I know that experience. I love that. So, well, thank you so much, Nino. And remember everyone to stay tuned. Um, this has just been great. And I know everybody else appreciates you being on the show. So thank you. Well, I appreciate the invite. Like I said, I've had a great time. Great.
I absolutely loved that conversation with Nino and we had a fun chat for a little bit afterwards. So I feel like once again, I made a new friend, which I absolutely love. And of course, I would like to make you my new friend. <laughs> so please get in touch. Send me an email, Lucy with an I at lucydumas.com um, or friend me on Facebook. Again, it's just L-U-C-I. D-U-M-A-S. And uh, it's the photo of me with the long salt and pepper hair that's that's mine. So let me think. So we talked about the difference between, I guess you'd say, sleazy photography of women and respectful, beautiful, high quality images. And we talked about the difference between commercial photography and general photography. Commercial is where a company is paying you. General is where the person is paying you that you're photographing. And then a little later, we got into the fine art world of photography and photographing women and models in fine art photography is, you know, very strong, what would you say, precedent? So there's basically three we talked a little bit about the difference between beauty photography, fine art, and things that are more of a sexual nature and walking that fine line sometimes. He talked a lot about having the right intent and the importance of that. He is primarily now, his bread and butter is educating people starting with uh, lighting and technical and posing. And he's also teaching retouching, editing, and so forth. We didn't talk much about that. And he gave two tips for breaking into commercial photography, which is have really good work that is commercial quality and specializing. We uh, did a little touch on color grading. So you might want to look that up and and discover that every movie you watch that is worth its salt. Well, now there's some fun ones, but color grading is a thing that with some of the best movies, award-winning movies, they have a strong leaning in color tones. And his wrap-up is, first of all, find a muse if you want to, you know, just blossom in your creativity. And I love his quote, sincerity wins. So whatever you're doing, be sincere about it. And so I sincerely wish I could give you a hug today or answer any issues that you have with your business or your photography or, you know, motivation. So reach out and stay tuned. Um, if you subscribe, then you'll be sure. And I'm on all the However, you're listening to this, I'm on all the other platforms too, whatever that is. So that's it for now and stay tuned till next week. Bye. You have been listening to the Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one on one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.